Hi, everybody, and welcome to Producing the Beatles, the podcast dedicated to exploring the untold story of producer George Martin's revolutionary collaboration with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I'm your host, Jason Krupa, and today's episode is part one of a brief overview of how George Martin and the Beatles used multi-track recording, from two-track to four-track to eight-track, and how those formats paralleled and sometimes shaped the creative dynamic between producer and artist. Before we get too far into this series, it's important to note that when we say producing the Beatles, we're not talking about a simple one-size-fits-all model where the Beatles as musicians wrote and performed the songs, and George Martin as producer gave them musical direction, shaped their sound through various manipulations, and added orchestral instruments when he felt necessary. In fact, it was almost never this simple. There was instead a fluid give-and-take between producer and artist that changed from song to song, session to session, and year to year. Multitrack recording and overdubbing were very much a part of this give-and-take. To be clear, the Beatles were already familiar with the concept of overdubbing, but under Martin's direction, as the Beatles began to understand what they could achieve by layering their recordings with more and more parts, their ideas became more ambitious. And as their ideas became more ambitious, they began pushing past what Martin had taught them. Overdubbing and multi-track recording lie at the foundation of modern recording, and while this technology had been available as early as the late 1950s, Martin's unique mastery of the studio, combined with the Beatles' own talent and innate curiosity, was transformative. The way Martin and the Beatles used two-track, four-track, and finally eight-track recording would give rise to the recording artist and would fundamentally change the way we approach recorded music. It's also important to understand what George Martin and the Beatles were working with. In modern digital recording, we have unlimited tracks. I have more recording power here on my laptop than the Beatles ever saw when they were together. It's worth considering, too, that having endless options isn't necessarily a good thing. Sometimes, creativity thrives under limitations, and it's easy to get behind the argument that, with rock music especially, the simpler, the better. So, if you're not already listening on headphones or earbuds, get them out and plug them in. Because today, we'll be isolating parts of six multi-track recordings on this episode of Producing the Beatles. In the beginning, there was mono. From the dawn of recorded sound until the late 1950s, there was just one channel right in the center, like this. Mono would rule the record industry until the late 1960s, even after more than just mono tape became available. Originally, the emphasis for producers and artists alike was primarily on capturing a live performance with as much fidelity as possible. Although Martin recorded the Beatles onto both mono and twin-track tape early on, by the end of 1962, he switched solely to twin-track. Using this format, in recording the Beatles, Martin's standard procedure was to do a live recording, assigning the rhythm to track one and the vocals to track two. With only two tracks, and both of them full, there was no room for overdubs, but there was plenty of overdubbing in recorded music of the 50s and early 60s. To add anything else to the recording required another tape machine. To see how this worked, 
Let's look at the song There's a Place off the Beatles' first album as an example. There's a place. This is the master take, take 10, recorded February 11th, 1963. The twin track tape was recorded with instruments on track one, pan to the left, and vocals on track two, pan to the right. That intro didn't have quite the punch it needed, so Martin and the Beatles decided on an overdub. This is where the second tape machine comes in. Let's pretend we're engineers at EMI in early 1963, and George Martin wants to record an overdub on a Beatles song. We have to connect tape machine one, which is playing back the first twin track tape with rhythm and vocals, to tape machine two, another twin track machine which is recording. We would also connect a microphone to Tape Machine 2 through the mixing board so the Beatles could record an overdub at the same time. This is an extremely simplified version of the process, but it gives you an idea of the steps involved. Next, we press the record button on Tape Machine 2, then press play on Tape Machine 1. As the original tape played to the second machine, John added a harmonica part. Notice that the new part is recorded on the left channel with the other instruments already on the tape. So when Martin and engineer Norman Smith mixed this down to mono, remember mono is still king, it sounded like this. This was a convoluted process, and as 1963 wore on, Martin had the Beatles doing more and more overdubs this way. Early overdubs were pretty simple, just like on There's a Place. They were meant to sweeten the sound of an already good live studio recording. For instance, the hand claps on I Saw Her Standing There, which were probably the Beatles' idea, or Martin's keyboard on Misery and Baby It's You, which were certainly Martin's idea. Also in the interest of sweetening the sound, Martin introduced them to the technique of double-tracking their vocals. Still using the tape-to-tape -tape overdub technique, Martin showed them how they could record a lead vocal a second time to strengthen the sound of the vocal in a recording. Paul had done this once during the sessions for their first album in February 1963 on A Taste of Honey, but by the time of the sessions for their second album, this idea really took hold. Here's John Lennon, 17 years later, during recording sessions for Double Fantasy, still clearly enamored of that eureka moment when he discovered what his double-tracked vocals sounded like. I love double-tracking. When we first discovered it, I double-tracked everything. On the second album is when he suddenly told us that you can do this thing. You know? I wouldn't let him have anything single-tracked from then on. He said, please, just leave this one. Nope. <laughs> Beginning in July 1963, they began doing tape-to-tape -tape overdubs like this on every song. Twelve songs in a row, in fact, either double-tracking vocals or overlaying extra parts. 
you can see how having more tracks would simplify things and also provide more options. So you may be asking yourself right about now, why didn't George Martin begin recording the Beatles on four track earlier? Even though four track was available at Abbey Road by the late 1950s, and even though he had used four track extensively in crafting his production heavy comedy records, Martin chose to record the Beatles on twin track tape for the first 15 months he worked with them. That's their first four singles, their first album, and nearly all of their second album. Meanwhile, one of Martin's colleagues, EMI producer Nori Paramore, had begun recording one of his artists, the incredibly successful Cliff Richard, on four track at least as early as 1962 and possibly before. To add to the question, by late summer 1963, Martin was already recording on four track with other Liverpool artists like Cilla Black and Billy J. Kramer, as well as with other pop artists like Matt Monroe and Shirley Bassey. Granted, Martin was doing more production on those records than with the Beatles, but it wasn't until October 1963 that he finally recorded the Beatles on four track. In retrospect, knowing that the innovative work from Revolver and Sgt. Pepper lies ahead, and knowing that it was four-track that really allowed the Beatles to discover their identity in the studio, we tend to think recording the Beatles on four-track would be a no-brainer. But we have to imagine ourselves in a time before Revolver and Sgt. Pepper. In 1962 and 63, the Beatles were not yet the band they would be in 1966 and 67. Remember, too, that in 62 and 63, George Martin was the expert in the studio. He was the one directing the overdubs, and he was the one who best understood how overdubs could enrich the sound of a recording. To him, and this is very important, because he was the producer, he was in charge at this point. To him, the Beatles were a live rock and roll band, and that's largely how he produced them. George Martin never went on record explaining why he waited so long to record the Beatles on four track, and because of this, I can't give you a definitive answer. But in the midst of all these tape-to-tape overdubs, connecting two tape machines over and over, 12 songs in a row, and realizing how the Beatles were taken with the recording process, it certainly made practical sense to make the switch. At any rate, that first four track session ended up being an important one. It was for their next single, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which would finally break them in America. Take nine. So now that they had four tracks to work with, here's how Martin recorded them. The Beatles laid down a live rhythm and vocal across three tracks of the four-track tape. Rhythm guitar, bass, and drums are on track one. George's lead guitar is on track two. Vocals are on track four. Oh yeah, tell you something. I think you'll And then, on to track three, they recorded their overdubs. Hand claps, some extra vocals, and a recurring bass figure. And when I touch you, I feel 
This would become common practice with the Beatles overdubs, not just a single part on multiple tracks, but multiple parts on each track, all performed at once. This is all about economical use of limited resources. Four-track recording is where the Beatles really began to distinguish themselves, not just as pop musicians, but as recording artists. Once they had four tracks at their disposal, the Beatles picked up on the possibilities pretty quickly. Only a few months later, while recording the album A Hard Day's Night, Martin and the Beatles had established a working process for four-track recording. First, they would record the rhythm onto track one. lead vocals, in this case recorded live with the rhythm, were on track four. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night Then the overdubs began. Acoustic rhythm guitar, bongos, and double track vocals. It's been a hard And finally, George Martin and George Harrison's half-speed piano guitar duet. The Beatles spent the rest of 1964 and 65 mastering this process. Here they are in February 1965, recording Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride, take one. That one. Okay. I know that's driving me mad. Martin put the bass and drums on one track, with John and George's guitars on a second track, all recorded live. The lead and backing vocals, also recorded live, were on track three. I think I'm gonna be sad. I think it's today. Yeah. The girl that's driving me mad is going away. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride, but she don't care. Finally, the last track features an overdub of all four Beatles. George's simple guitar lines, Ringo on tambourine, John double-tracking his lead vocal along with hand claps, and Paul's lead guitar interjections.
Working out these parts would have taken a bit of rehearsal, and 4-track allowed them the freedom to experiment with these kinds of overdubs. And while it provided Martin more control over the final mix, it also gave the Beatles more power over the recording process. They could craft a recording one track at a time, and the Beatles quickly showed themselves to be hard-working perfectionists. Now, I'm a huge fan of vocal harmony, and while the Beatles' instrumental overdubs enrich their recordings immensely, I want to focus on the vocals here for a minute because they're so often overlooked. In recording their vocal overdubs, 4-track allowed the Beatles to work on these parts a section at a time if necessary. Although they would continue to do simple double tracking, this was a step further, and it reached something of a peak during Rubber Soul, where many of the songs feature two and sometimes three tracks with multiple harmony vocals, often while the Beatles overdubbed other instruments at the same time. In fact, there's a tape that's very familiar to collectors, which captures John, Paul, and George working out the vocal harmonies for the song Think For Yourself before they recorded them one piece at a time. This nearly 20-minute tape stops and starts a number of times as they work their way through the recording. Can we, can we just do the little bit together? Let me, because mm, I've okay. forgotten what it was. Mm. All right, mm. just the last one. And you got time to oh, rectify. Oh, That's me. Oh, good Boom. luck. <laughs> and you've got time to rectify all the things that you should. That was that it. You should. Oh, I've got it now. Listen to this. I'm going to give expression as well. And that was just for the first track of vocals. They did the same thing again for a second vocal track. And the result... The future still looks good. And you've got time to rectify all the things that you should Do what you want to do And go where you're going to Think for yourself cause I won't be there with you My favorite example of the Beatles' vocal layering, however, is the intro to Paperback Writer. I'm just going to let this play, but in the right channel, you'll hear the first track of vocals, then in the left channel, the second track, and in the center, the third track, a high harmony part. The Beatles applied this kind of attention to detail to all of their overdubs, and where four tracks had seemed like such a luxury two years earlier, by the time of the Revolver Sessions in the spring of 1966, they were already beginning to outgrow four-track recording. Now, the Beatles would fill all four tracks with multiple parts on each track and still not be finished with a recording. This meant Martin and his engineers had to do what's called reduction mixes. 
This is the same tape-to-tape technique we discussed earlier, except now it was from one 4-track machine to another 4-track machine, and it was done to make room for more overdubs. The Beatles had already done this a couple of times in 1965, but by 1966 their ambitions had expanded dramatically. As a result, 11 of the 16 songs recorded during the Revolver sessions required a 4-track to 4-track tape reduction. On the next album, Sgt. Pepper, every single song except one, that's 15 out of the 16 songs recorded during the sessions, required one, and sometimes more than one, tape reduction. Managing all these overdubs and tape reductions became a very complicated process. But we'll save that for part two, where we'll hear the Beatles make the inevitable jump from four track to eight track and learn how that change signaled a shift in their relationship with George Martin. Thanks for listening. Producing the Beatles is written, directed, edited, and produced by me, Jason Krupa. Thanks again to Steve Benson for the track isolations of I Wanna Hold Your Hand, Think For Yourself, and Paperback Writer heard in this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PT Beatles, and for more information, including show notes and references, check out our website, producingthebeatles.com. You can also find our email there if you have questions or comments. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to rate us on iTunes and let your friends know about us. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us using your favorite podcast platform. Yeah.